This is a new era for our politics and something of a new start. A chance for a new generation to show just how good this place can be. It really does look and feel different. Indeed, many of us are sitting next to people that we've never sat next to before. He was referring, of course, to the Deputy Prime Minister, Nick Clegg. It's a new government getting down to business with Cameron opening Parliament this week. I'm Allegra Stratton. And I'm Tom Clark. And on Politics Weekly, we'll be looking at the new boys' first week in power. And more particularly, we'll be asking how the Liberal Democrats fit into this unfamiliar picture. We're also going to be drilling down into the polling of Election Day to look at a little bit more why Labour lost. And today in the pod, we've brought together our established friend, Jackie Ashley, who's of course our Guardian columnist, as well as Tim Montgomery of Conservative Home. Welcome to you both. And um, first of all, Tim, can I just ask you how you felt at looking at that new look seating plan in the House of Commons this week? Well, the whole thing really for a week or so has been completely bewildering. And that was one of the most sort of surprising moments of the the moment. <laughs> uh, most conservatives I speak to are still struggling to comprehend it, still struggling to understand the ideological and other implications of it. But most sort of normal people outside the Westminster bubble I meet to, friends and family, just love this idea of politicians working together. And this is their time, I think, for the coalition's maximum advantage. This is the time for them to make the, the difficult decisions because as the difficult decisions are made, that goodwill and that nice feeling will probably mm. start to go. And what do you think, Jackie? I mean, you saw the, the libs in one block and then Nick Clegg and Vince Cable along the front bench just away from yeah, them. Yeah, and, and didn't Vince Cable look awkward? <laughs> His whole body language was sort of <laughs> screaming, I just don't like this, I don't want to be here. I, I'm afraid to pour cold water on this, but I've never really thought it can work and I don't think it'll work. And I think day and daily we're seeing, you know, another five new subjects come up, whether it's fox hunting, the Human Rights Act, more and more things coming up where you just think this cannot hold. And, and it cannot hold because of the party members. I mean, Tim will know from the Conservative activists, they're furious. I've been talking to a lot of Tory MPs, they're furious. Lib Dem activists and voters, they're furious. I just think it's not going to last. I think you're right to to a a large extent, Jackie. There's a lot of people who are unhappy, and I think unhappiness is growing rather than (laughs) declining. But we did a poll of Tory members at the weekend, and 69% were supportive of this coalition, and half of the, the, the remainder were just sort of unsure. So I think there's still a lot of goodwill to this. People want it to work. But when Cameron does things like bounce the 1922 mm. backbench mm. committee into having a rule change without adequate consultation. He's storing up problems for the future. But let's, Tim, specifically on the seating plan, could you see a bench on the backbenches that were going to be particular problems? I mean, Jackie, there was that where Dennis Skinner et al. used to sit, now yeah. is Ming Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> and all the guys who were wearing yellow ties, so all the Lib Dem oh, reluctants. Yeah, who don't really want it. And I, I think already they're making their voices heard and it's just going to get worse, isn't it? And we're already getting threats to quit if the Human Rights Act is, is repealed or not re- um, I just can't see it working um, Let's focus just for a minute on the Liberal Democrats because Nick Clegg's been absolutely desperate to prove to everyone and most particularly of course to his own members that he's not just one power he's one power as Gordon Brown used to say for a purpose and he set out to show this in a speech this week which likened his own constitutional reform programme to the Great Reform Act of 1832 This government is going to break up concentrations of power and hand power back to people, because that is quite simply how we can build a fair society. This government is going to persuade you to put your faith 
in politics once again. I'm not talking about a few new rules for MPs, not the odd gesture or gimmick here or there to make you feel a bit more involved. I'm talking about the most significant programme of empowerment by a British government since the great reforms of the 19th century. Tim, was he over-egging the pudding a little bit? Uh, just a little bit, I think. But, uh, <laughs> Female um, suffrage. The, the Nick Clegg I remembered sort of before the debates when he kind of introduced himself to the electorate was actually this sort of Nick Clegg who went from naught to 60 miles per hour in two seconds. You know, he was so eager always to grab attention. He always seemed to go that, say that bit too much. That Savage cuts. Exactly. And um, I just wondered in debates, he was Mr. Reasonable, this extraordinarily effective communicator. And I just saw a little bit of that old Nick Clegg in that speech yesterday, trying to grab a bit too much attention, perhaps not confident enough yet as recognising he's the Deputy Prime Minister. He can say things, he doesn't have to go for the hyperbole. He's not really found his tone yet, I no. think, is the problem. He doesn't quite know where to pitch anything. It, whether it is a, you know, the sort of shriek from opposition of this is outrageous and it must be all over mm. or whether it's the very statesmanlike sort of this is what we're going to do. He's, he's just not found his right tone at all, I don't think. I mean, perhaps it'll come, but... Uh, so on, uh, the, co- on the substance of it, you don't think it lives up to the rhetoric, not just the rhetoric? Going to do well, I think when I was talking to one of the negotiators actually um, yesterday, who was saying actually quite categorically, we hate the Tories, we hate the Tories, but we're holding our noses to do this to get voting reform. And we then talked about that, and I just don't think they're going to get voting reform because one um, within the parties there's not agreement on it. Two, there's not agreement as to whether it should be AV, AV plus, or why not something more proportional. And three, when we come to the referendum, with the might of the Tory party and no doubt the might of quite a lot of the press as well, campaigning against um, voting reform, I don't think we're going to get it. So I think they're holding their notice for nothing. I was talking to a Lib Dem about this, and they gave three reasons why they thought Cameron actually could go through the yes vote on an AV referendum. Mm-hmm. Bear with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One was that AV keeps the constituency link. Two was that, uh, that they'd always had these scare stories that sort of some kind of PR would lead to coalition government. Well, we have that. Mm-hmm. And three, it's quite old politics to sort of argue against reform. So could ah, you, could could you see four? Could yeah. I put four, which <laughs> is AV it. would reduce the number of conservative seats? Oh, dear. So you don't, you, so you, right, so you don't, don't vote it. for right. Christmas. Hmm. The big challenge, obviously, if you're sat there on the front bench, is trying to maintain a reason for voting Liberal Democrat. Now, last Saturday, Nick Clegg wrote a piece for The Guardian, which um, was a very cogent piece, saying there are many shared things between the Liberal Democrats and the Conservatives, devolution of state power, um, reduction of central power, and so on. Um, The problem was, I didn't see a line anywhere in it which told anyone why they should vote for or uh, even still less join the Liberal Democrats. What, what argument is he going to try and make, do you think, in the coming weeks? How will it work? Well, I think, Lib- uh, sorry, I think Nick Clegg is hoping that they will be able to bring in some of the Lib Dem policies and by trying to lock us into this ridiculous sort of however many years, five years by... Uh, means of the undemocratic 55% ruse that we might talk about later, uh, that during that time he'll be able to point to some policies to say, look, if we hadn't done this, if we hadn't held our noses, we wouldn't have had X. Now, what goes through first? Because we've got no clear sense of priorities yet, of course. Um, all these things take time in Parliament. We've not really had a clear sense of the priorities. But assuming we get some of his reforms through, then that's, that's what he's done. Tim, don't you think we just, the, the, the Tories just swallow up the Lib Dems in the next five years? Well, they've got to be careful. I'm actually surprised, and uh, the Times, if I'm allowed to mention the Times in the Guardian <laughs> podcast, and had quite an interesting story where the Tories were beginning to sort of suggest we won these negotiations. It's sort of a slightly dangerous thing to say. But actually, if you look at the 
some of the key things the Tories care most about on schools reform and welfare reform, the fact that Tories are in charge of 90% of public spending, the fact that David Laws is implicated in the spending cuts. Conservatives haven't done too badly out of these negotiations as as it's happened. And I think perhaps we gave away too many cabinet places. There's unhappy about, for example, the retreat on the Human Rights Act. But yes, I think your question is a real danger for the Liberal Democrats. And this coalition will come apart if in local elections, Welsh elections, Scottish elections, I'm gonna, I think it could probably last at least two years. I know whether Jackie's um, more pessimistic than that. But it will be in those elections, if the Liberal Democrats start to do disproportionately badly, I can't see the coalition surviving those electoral tests. What about you, Tom? Do you th- what do you think? You think that with five years insulates them from the wrath of the electorate, or not? Well, five years insulates them if they can make it stick. And like Tim says, you know, there's a lot of unknowns here these days. There are quite a lot of Liberal Democrat councillors who are often the same people as Liberal Democrat party members, and it's a very democratic party. So we'll have to see um, what they make of it. And at the moment, they're quite. Um, happy but uh i'm not sure how how long how long that will last if they start getting squeezed because people don't see why they should be uh you know why you should put a yellow sticker on your as you say in in a year's time we're going to be having elections aren't we as you say local elections um and i think by then we'll have had the big cuts so the lib dems will be furious about that and yet we won't i don't think have seen much in terms of legislation of, of the the good things they wanted tim in terms we're talking about party democracy how how healthy this morning is the tory party internal democracy tell us what happened last night this is thursday morning so wednesday night well, I think the big picture, obviously, there's, there's the 1922 issue where... The no, base, 22 committee. The 1922 MPs. backbench committee of Conservative MPs, where really David Cameron came along without warning and sort of said, really, it's like the shop floor of the party there, and suddenly said, management are now going to be sitting amongst you. <laughs> and we were, you know, we're about to get the, uh, the vote. But this, there's a larger problem here. I think, you know... So he's saying, sorry, just... For anyone who's not familiar with it, he's saying that ministers will come along and not just be there, but vote in the 1922 committee's dealings, right? Exactly. So up until now, the backbenchers have been able to choose their representative, their leader, who will engage on their behalf with the party leadership in the front bench. Cameron is now saying, I want a third of the people who vote in these elections to be people I whip. And that is a significant dilution of backbench power. The so-called payroll vote. The payroll vote. And this, of course, has happened at the same time where sort of you know, people like me, party members, have watched Nick Clegg hold a special conference with his party to explain the coalition deal. Numerous extended meetings have taken place between the Liberal Democrat leader and their MPs. And we haven't had that opportunity. And despite what I said to Jackie earlier, you know, 69% of Tory members seem to be behind this coalition deal. But I think Cameron is missing an opportunity to go that extra mile to bind his party to mm. this deal. And we've sort of looked and compared in a way we've never really seen before the threadbare nature of internal democracy in the Conservative Party with this very lively democracy in the in the Liberal Democrats. Now, I don't want to copy everything the Liberal Democrats have in terms of their internal party structures, but the Conservative Party, how it's organised, has looked an incredibly centralised beast 
compared to what the Liberal Democrats. But why, why has he done? Why has he, why has he done it? Just very, because he was scared that votes from the twenty-two committee would actually affect what the coalition was able to do. I mean, is it that muscular and a, a well, beast? Well, he knows this was going to be a bad story for him, and you know, it's been twenty-four, perhaps forty-eight hours of bad publicity. But his calculation is that if he can get this reform through, that if actually he gets a different leader than Graham Brady, who was the sort of right-wing favourite to lead this committee, if by having the front benches in there they choose Richard Ottaway, who's seen as more of a centrist candidate. Yeah, he gets 48 hours of bad publicity, but he's looking for five years, and he thinks if this committee is more pliant, more uh, more loyal for five years, it's worth swallowing that 48 hours. If you add in the uh, Liberal Democrats' manoeuvres to try and keep the so-called short money for opposition parties <laughs> together with this aren't we seeing the old politics bundled up in a big way in the new we are really aren't we central control and uh, fiddling things I, I think just going back to the cameron 1922 it was just a fight he didn't really need to pick at the moment because there is this great feeling especially amongst all the the newbies all it was half almost half the new the tory mps are, are new aren't they yeah. I mean, there's nothing like a new mp overwhelmed by the palace of westminster and all the media attention they're not going to be causing trouble anyway i don't think at first i think what this this move will have done you know the tales of north korea wouldn't even do this um it's going to inspire <laughs> the ones who are really grumpy uh to do more rebellious things more quickly i just think it was um a real own goal to have done that well i think you're right in the sense that at the moment they are wanting to be loyal these 49 percent of new mps but if you're going to make this change this of course that argument can also be made yeah, to say this is the time, time to, to make Maybe. the change <laughs> because they'll vote for it and in six months time they may not have voted for it and i think cameron has already seen you know within the first few days of the coalition david davis rebelling over the 55 percent rule about uh, you know changing the way parliament dissolves and john redwood flexing his muscles against the move on capital gains tax. So I think he realised that actually the party was restless and he needed to do something to control it. I think he was misguided to do it, more misguided to bounce the party into deciding mm. it immediately, could at least give them a week to think mm. about it. Um, but uh, he's decided he's going to have a problem um, with restless backbenchers and he needed to act quickly. But of course, as, as you were just saying before, Tim, before we started this recording, the, um, the 1922 committee was set up um, in 1922 by people that wanted to establish their own backbench things. Nothing to stop a 2010 committee springing up, is so watch this <laughs> so uh, early signs there that the coalition is going to give us plenty to natter about in the year ahead but let's leave them for now and turn to Labour now there's been much soul searching about why Labour lost top US pollster Stan Greenberg thinks he has a theory Tom caught up with him earlier in the week and he explained to him why Britain's progressive values did not translate into enough progressive votes well there's not progressive votes because there has not been progressive leadership this is a country that thinks it has no confidence in markets and freeing up financial regulation, wants to invest. They think the solutions require better leaders, better government. And Labor did not find a way to be part of that you know, conversation. It was a very tactical election by Labor fighting out over when the cuts in, the, in spending are going to come, but not really on the character of the society, character of, um, of, of the state. And it's, you know, it's a progressive vision, you know, ready to, to be picked up, you know, by apparently, presumably, you know, a new leader of the Labour Party. 
Now, one thing he did say in that conversation quite firmly is that Labour would probably still be in power in some form if it had had a different leader. Attention's now turning to the race for succession. Now, Allegra, only this morning we've heard the thud of yet another hat being dropped into the ring, none other than Diane Abbott. Yeah, she's done a very sensible thing in a not very sensible way. She's got up and said, right, we have this this range of five white men uh, and four of them are former special advisers, Oxbridge graduates, etc. And so um, she's an Oxbridge graduate, but she's going to stand as, I think, is it, is it our first black female MP? Yep, she was. She yes. was. Yeah. Um, so she's standing, and it's not very sensible because what she's going to do is split the left-left vote. Uh, they all need to get 33 MP nominations, and John McDonald was in the race to try and do that and was going to struggle to do that. And those of the people that would back him now have their, had to scratch their heads and decide whether they'll back him or Diane. So probably neither of them will then end up in it. Um, I mean, she's, she's a clever woman. She's the regular pundit on this week, and she, she actually sort of... She's a, a, a career rebel, and I, I think she... She rebelled very effectively along with Shami Chakrabarti. Shami Chakrabarti from Liberty helped whip the um, the rebellion against 42 Days, which ultimately saw Labour backbenchers be quite successful. So she is smart, but she's made a career out of out of sort of um, professional opposition. Uh, mm. So well, they're in opposition. <laughs> indeed, indeed, it's now indeed. Her hour. As we were joking again before the program, you know, Margaret Thatcher was the underdog in '75. <laughs> oh, Diane believed that. Though. I know Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> Diane no Abbott is Margaret. no Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> I think she has the safest Labour seat now in the country. Anyway, so we now have we now have a Labour le- leadership contest, which we have been uh, sort of um, uh, looking 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 ahead to for about a year now, haven't we? And there's been possibilities of having this. And Tim, do any of the candidates declared so far, any of the six we've now got, send a shiver down Tory spines? Um, not yet. I, you know, I don't want to be dismissive of the contest. I think the uh, best thing that can be done, I'm glad that, for, well, I think it's sensible for the Labour Party that it's taking place over a reasonably extended time. There's not a rushed contest. Uh, I think it helped the Conservative Party enormously in 2005 when we had our leadership race, that it wasn't an immediate election. I think this is a chance for the Labour Party to have a soul-searching debate. I think actually Diane Abbott, you know, I'm sure she doesn't stand any chance of winning, um, but if she's there raising the concerns of the left, at least the left will feel that they've had their concerns raised. And there just seems to be a few issues like a lot of the candidates at the moment blaming immigration for Labour's defeat very quickly. She was there on the Today programme this morning absolutely challenging that. And I think her presence in the race will mean that more arguments are heard than perhaps if we just had the former cabinet ministers involved. Problem is, though, Jackie, isn't it, is that she might be in the race, but she's probably only in it for another eight or nine Mm. days while these nominations are open. Well, I think it's a great pity she and John McDonnell could not have done some kind of deal to to let one left candidate come through. Maybe even now one of them will will stand down. I'm very disappointed that the Labour women didn't properly come together to put pressure on somebody. Now, whether it would have been Harriet Harman or Yvette Cooper or indeed somebody else, because there was talk a few weeks ago of a a great sort of let's draft Yvette Cooper campaign who would seem the most likely woman to stand. Uh, And as we know, her husband offered to stand down, Ed Balls, but uh, she said, no, no, it's not the right time. Well, we can understand that. Having three small kids is no joke if you're trying to be Prime Minister, I'm sure. But uh, I wish the Labour women had come together and said, let's do something sensible. We must have a woman in the race let's draft somebody um 
having said that, I think Tim is right. We really do need a left winger in the in the further debate to come once the nominations have closed, because it's important we do have this really big debate. And so far from the other candidates, we're hearing very much the same thing. We've lost touch with our members. We're not understanding their concerns. It's like they've got a script. It's quite hard to tell much between them, isn't well, it? These the are the buggers who wrote the script, aren't they? That's the problem. <laughs> these special advisors, deep mm. renewal, aspiration, all these buzzwords. It doesn't really mean that much, does it? In touch with our voters, in touch with our members. What are they on about? It's, we want more specific policies I think and I dare say they will come out in due course but we're not certainly not getting them yet I, I think this leadership race does really matter actually I think one of the great you're talking uh, Tom about why Labour lost they didn't lose anywhere near as badly as I thought they would mm. lose and the, you know, 29% of the vote was lower uh, percentage vote than the Tories ever got in our historic defeats mm. we were but at the same time many many more many more many Jackie on this <laughs> but the Labour have many more seats they are within striking distance of power and it is possible if this coalition really fails and a credible Labour leader is elected mm. you know you're not Labour is not so far from power so is we, that the dilemma for them Jackie that they think gosh I've been doing what we were doing nearly got us there if we just tweak this and add this and do that that actually it's a winning it's a winning formula when actually possibly what what people would rather hear and, and see is, is a complete rethink. I, th- I think they do recognise, or most of the candidates recognise anyway, that, that their whole sort of command and control, top-down, bossy boots, sort of we won't listen to any dissent, was, was a lot of the problem. And I think all these candidates who are coming in do recognise that and will behave differently. But it has to be said, all due respect to Gordon Brown, who I thought was magnificently dignified when he left, but... Mm. MP after MP after MP is saying on the doorsteps, Gordon Brown himself was the problem. A lot of them are saying, I like Labour, but I don't like the character and the way Gordon Brown runs things. So I think perhaps with Gordon Brown gone and a much more collegiate and a more media-friendly leader, Labour really are in with a very strong chance next time round. Isn't the really big dilemma for them, and I don't know where any of them come out on this, is what they do with this great toad in the middle of the road that the, the, the new coalition is. Do they kind of do what you can see the temptation is, which Mm. is to say, we're the People's Party, we're the only opposition now, they're going to start cutting, the centre of gravity will come back to our way. Mm. Or do you think that they say, politics all looks a bit different and we might need to be one of many voices? Yeah, and there are quite a lot of things the new coalition are doing that actually Labour people would support. Uh, Certainly some of the Lib Dem things on tax that are coming through, raising the tax thresholds, you know, ditching the Tories' inheritance tax thing. These are all very good. So I think they'd be mad to be totally oppositionist for now. But quite soon they're going to have to take judgments, aren't they? Even before they've got a new leader on some fairly important things. Well, the budget, but also in terms of these sort of things that defy the old left-right spectrum. What are they going to say when we get the official announcement about ID cards going? Are we going to say, that was something we got wrong, or are we going to doggedly defend where they were? And when it comes to electoral reform, are they going to be trying to outflank the Liberals, winding them up by saying actually you should be going for full PR or are they, are they going to be defending first past the well, post? That, but that will be part of the, the, the hustings <coughs> and the leadership contest because for instance in the Lib yeah. Lab negotiations Ed Miliband was saying you can have ID, to ID cards, we'll get rid of them, fine. It, it might but, be nice to get some members involved and some of the public involved in these decisions as well, mightn't it, you know, rather than just they decide this is what we're going to do on uh, PR or whatever. Well so we're hoping to interview some of these Labour candidates on Politics Weekly in the next few weeks so subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you have not already. And that's all we've got time for for today however. Politics Weekly is produced by Francesca Panetta. I'm Tom Clark. I'm Allegra Stratton. Till next week, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.